0: Adriana. And I'm here.
1: And you're listening to Undercurrent, a podcast complementing the Undercurrent art space at 70 John Street in Brooklyn.
0: We have an unmute episode today, but I'll start with a quick announcement. Megan Cox's first New York solo exhibition, Hours and Hours, opens at Undercurrent on April 23rd from 4 to 8 p.m. The show will run until May 30th. Check out Undercurrent.nyc to learn more. And so like I said, today we have an Unmute episode featuring a roundtable discussion with a few of the consultants participating in Unmute. Now, Adriana, you kind of, uh, you got pretty hyped up about this roundtable.
1: I was so excited, Monsieur. I mean, I think it's really interesting, especially now that we've been existing in this kind of digital space for quite a while with COVID um, in terms of the art world. It's really interesting to get like so many different you know, viewpoints. Um, the consultants aren't all from one sector of the art world. They're gallery owners, curators, uh, artists themselves, critical thinkers. So it was really enriching to have this conversation with them.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you enjoyed it because you it, it could really tell while during the recording. Really? Yeah, it's great. So, yeah, so we have a conversation with five of the consultants, and as Adriana said, they're not necessarily artists, they're curators, writers, directors of various artistic ventures, and so on. And we talked with five of them, of the 10 total, and I'll start introducing them. So first off is Petra Valentova, who's a conceptual and multimedia artist who works with block makers and blueprint workshops in the Czech Republic and with indigenous printing communities in Bagru, Rajasthan, India. In 2007, she published Searching for a Sami Cookbook. Next up is Sozita Goduna, who is a professor, curator, and the author of Beckett's Breath, Anti-Theatricality in the Visual Arts. She has taught at CUNY and NYU and is the head of operations at the Raymond Pettibon Foundation. Most recently, she has served as the founding director of Greece in USA since 2020. twenty.
1: Raúl Zamudio is an independent curator, writer, and art educator. He's currently the Director of Curation at White Box, an art space in East Harlem, and writes for several art magazines, in addition to teaching at Parsons and John Jay. Elena Sianko is the Artistic and Executive Director of PS21, Performance Spaces for the 21st Century, a set of state-of-the-art, green energy, black box, and open-air pavilion theaters in the Hudson Valley, two hours north of New York City. And finally, Adriana Bledaro is a contemporary art curator and writer. Most recently, she is the founding editor of Living Content, a curatorial platform that features interviews with artists, exhibition recommendations, limited editions, events, and other exhibitions.
0: So let's turn now to our recorded roundtable. Thank you, everyone, for participating in this roundtable of the Unmute Curators for the 10002 version of the Unmute project, and I'm going to ask everyone at the roundtable to briefly say their names so that the listeners can associate a voice with a person. So let's start it off.
2: Hi, my name is Adriana Plidaru. Thank you so much for the invitation, and I'm really excited to be part of this conversation.
3: Hi, my name is Petra Valentova. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Thank you.
4: Good evening, everyone. My name is Raul Zamudio, and thank you very much for the invitation as well.
5: Hello, everyone. My name is Suzida Guduna. I'm also very excited to participate, and thank you
0: for the invitation.
6: Hello, Elena Sianko from New York City. Thanks for inviting everyone.
0: So, I wanted to ask you all, in general, what actually attracted you to the Unmute project to, to serve as consultants in it.
3: I was nominated by the uh, Czech uh, Center in New York, uh, where I live and work. And I was very grateful and also very honored. For me, it was an opportunity to... I knew uh, about the project or about the residency because I am on a mailing list from the Czech Center and uh, I followed uh, the artists. And uh, for me to be consultant was an opportunity to really get deeper into a project and follow uh, a group that uh, I was assigned to uh, the deeper and really see all of the videos, talk to them, get to meet them. And I got very, very excited about their progress and about their work, how uh, the questions and, uh, and that they had ways how they resolved them, uh, progress that they were made, that they were making.
6: I was very interested in creative minds in how you would bring together artists of two uh, different backgrounds and unrelated, seemingly unrelated disciplines um, with very different foundations and their life training, life experience, point of their careers where they are. And that seemed the most fascinating because creation of ideas and new kind of directions in your creative work is elusive. So that kind of feeding off a certain exchange dialogues and conversations uh, was probably the most fascinating and interesting to me. I was also interested in
5: what Elena just uh, described, but also in the hybrid uh, nature of this uh, of the ethnicities. And uh, having also been in Europe and various different cities, uh, the, the uh, transition to the U.S. Um, I'm very interested in the way uh, European collaborators working with the U.S. Uh, artists. So together with the interface of different media i find it this i find this very fascinating the continental europe or uh, other areas the periphery of europe working with the artists who are based in uh, new york
2: yeah i think for me as a, as a curator it was really interesting to see how this conversation would occur on an online platform between two artists that never met each other and have had no idea about each other's work. So I thought uh, that would be kind of like an interesting uh, experiment and an an interesting like chemistry experiment almost between two artists. And I, I, uh, I was really excited to see how the communication would flow between them And how, what would be the final result and just what is the actual brainstorming process between these two people that are trying to create uh, an artwork together? And for me as a curator, as I said, it it was just like a super interesting uh, way of having uh, inside access to that.
4: I was also fascinated by this um, moment that we're all been cast into with the pandemic and how these two artists would negotiate virtually, and also as a way to kind of um, get a purview about their mode of working and collaborating, and also uh, how I could somehow uh, add to that discussion and see myself or position myself more as a kind of a mediator of, of some sort. I also had a, another, a much more selfish reason, and that is I'm always interested in um Getting to meet artists that I don't know at all just for my own projects in the future so that was very fruitful and then also I, I specifically wanted to work with Gabrielle because um, I'd actually worked in Lithuania and I had a wonderful time there so I wanted to uh I guess it was a, a bit of uh, melancholy or or even nostalgia for me
1: firstly apologies if I'm glitchy but such is the byproduct of existing online at the moment right I was really interested in 10002 as this kind of digital space. And I was really interested in how art making can move into these digital spaces and perhaps not be a facsimile of the real art world, whatever that means, but something that can actually create equity and accessibility to everybody. I mean, obviously we know that you know, the web and technology has so many fraught facets to it, including, you know, surveillance and racialization. But something I've been thinking about is the internet or the digital turn as kind of a leveling of sorts. And I'm I'm wondering how you guys have seen, how you guys have experienced the shift to the digital, how you see it personally, and if you think there is perhaps potential for, a better future in the art world because of it.
2: Well, I think I can I can go first. I think I think of course everything you know has been translated from the offline into the online in this past year or so. And I think we've seen a lot of inventive ways and interesting ways uh, in the art world of, of of doing that and translating full exhibitions or projects archival projects even into the online world and kind of um, in a way like offering access to a much broader public uh, and an international public but I think that of course everyone has is fatigued with the with the online right now and it's just so overcrowded and it just feels so intense with having so many zoom meetings and you know having everything translated into the online so it's a I think it's a it's a double-edged sword in a way and of course you know as you mentioned Adriana I think there there's so many things that you know there's still I think the internet is still a very young creature so I think there's still a lot of things that we have to kind of consider in the way things are mediated and you know and in the way things are translated and I think we are Uh, It's still very young and I think there's so much possibility still and so much hope for things to get better, but there are problems and I think we're always going to encounter these problems and we just have to fix them as we go.
5: Uh, for me, there was a good serendipity because I was—I um, created this platform uh, for Greece and USA, and um, it actually helped a lot because the, the, the logistics helped. So I could show one hundred fifty artists. That, of course, it's not—it's uh, a virtual exhibition, but uh, that wouldn't take place if this if this condition wasn't established in the in the sense. Um, that uh, it, it would be different if, if COVID wasn't, uh, we, if we were not experiencing COVID, I wouldn't have uh, uh, been able to present 150 Greek artists in the US. And I'm trying to find other possibilities of having the real exhibition. But uh, in a way, this restriction helped me to, to liberate, to find means, to realize projects that I wouldn't have otherwise. Of course, that's not uh, naive in, in
0: the ways that- Susita uh, stepped off. Petra, do you want to uh, pick up?
3: Yes. So in our last year, I um, had an opportunity to experience internet and Zoom interaction on several different levels. One was me personally uh, as an active artist. One was in my family, uh, my children being on a Zoom and my spouse being on a Zoom. So I would say it's uh, sometimes sweet, sometimes sour, sometimes great, sometimes horrible. There's a lot of frustration, uh, definitely, when it comes to a lack of personal contact especially for my children at the same time uh, I as an active artist uh, participated in an exhibition that was online and uh, brought us uh, artists together with several zoom calls and and virtual studio visits and I thought that it was wonderful like it I could open up the door to my studio uh, to the people that I there you know, a they are, they are on a different parts of the US. So I would say I am optimistic. Uh, yeah, I would still tread it lightly for certain people, it works uh, for certain, I would say, as my children are doing online school, that is very difficult. But in terms of art and art practice, I am cautiously optimistic, uh, definitely uh, unmute, And me interacting with the artist was exciting. It was something new, something different. And I was uh, excited to see how uh, the artists that I worked with uh, interacted and how they were becoming more and more comfortable uh, over the the period of weeks and how they were able to share actually very, very personal
6: things. And I would agree with Petra and Adriana and would highlight a dichotomy of a different sort. The internet experience highlighted for me the essentialism of how much we value art, right? I I watched a ton of amazing productions from Poland, from especially German speaking countries in theater that are invaluable in my experience as a curator that I would have not been able to see otherwise. I was a beneficiary of amazing conferences with Artists, presentations, just like Petra, with so many more voices and people that we would not be able to bring otherwise. And at the same time, it all highlighted for me the precariousness of lives of American artists, independent artists, that with all this largesse of internet experiences and accessibility, I did not really see the vector or the kind of a push to really see how uh, the experience of being a working artist in the US at the current moment is going to be changed. And the just my communication with both American-based artists and European-based artists, especially in luckier countries like Belgium and Germany, highlighted really for me that incredible kind of lack uh, in, in the way we, in the US, look um, and think about how to maintain artistic life and what resources and foundations are essential.
4: I think it's fantastic that there's more communication and more accessibility to a larger audience for artists who probably would not have that kind of route in the more kind of conventional uh, art infrastructure. But at the same time, it's sort of like listening to um, a classical composer through Spotify or watching a film on Netflix when you know very well that directors envision that for the screen. When you're looking at work that might not be of uh, an orientation towards the digital media. And there's something to be said too about the medium itself and um, that sort of downside because we're still Live in a world where there's a lot of inaccessibility to the medium. One of the things that I mean, we're now into, very well into the internet, into digital-based um, work. But um, I remember the sole media binary. One time it was called new media binary. They dropped that descriptive because it wasn't new anymore. And uh, one of the things that I remember very well about a criticism of it was the um, overemphasis on the technological aspect of it, as if it's some kind of, um, as, as if it's going to be the, the elixir that everybody needs. But in fact, it's just a wolf in another sheep's clothing in one sense, especially if you don't have access to technology.
0: That question of access was really behind uh, Adriana's question because it was this idea of how, whether the, the digital can sort of Does does it actually have this leveling aspect to it or is this something that we're just telling ourselves that it's that it's opening up these these doors and making it possible to see all these other artists. But it's still within a the pool is slightly larger, but it still actually fits into the same kinds of the variables are still somewhat similar what I want was wondering was about how if we imagine that the pandemic is coming towards its close, like how will these questions about access inform what the, the quote unquote after looks like, which is to say, what changes in this, in, in the cultural space over the last year, year and a half are, do you think will be permanent? What, what sorts of things will never be the way they were, uh, what sorts of things will sort of fall back and will these, you know, will these kinds of questions about access, et cetera, Find a hybrid response with the return of a more you know material sense of gathering.
1: I've been thinking about nfts, non-fungible tokens a lot just because it's been all over my feed and all over the news. And whether I align myself morally with this is like obsolete or like not not interesting enough. But I'm just thinking about this like turn to the digital, especially for the example of nfts. and it feels more pertaining to everybody. It feels like it could be accessible to anybody because it's digital and because we feel that the digital is so something so colloquial perhaps. But in reality, NFTs for me signal like the privatization of images in the same way that we put a price to artwork. work. So I'm wondering how can we perhaps move or have a hybrid between the digital and the real, whatever that means, and not reinstate institutional violence or institutional hierarchies
2: i just read today uh, on an artist's feed uh, an artist works a lot with digital media how uh, institutions are actually asking him to do all these digital uh, commissions uh, without offering him any Pay any fee for for his work, and in a funny way, he was basically uh, he was saying, "I will charge more for digital commissions now than for actual physical work," <laughs> and I thought that was very funny because, yeah, I think our 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 perception of the of the digital and what is possible in the digital we associate that with, uh, yeah, like this idea of accessibility and democracy and. But in reality, everything that happens there actually has consequences in the real world as well. And uh, you know, labor in the digital for an artist is as real as it is in a studio. And I just think these two things, they they can't actually be separated. They're actually very interconnected. And I think we have to see them as such. And I think we have to understand that.
0: Well, I think Adriana's uh, hesitation about saying real gestures towards that. I think I distinguish between the digital and the material, but that's that's even not entirely right. But I think that that's well put, that new media, even when it was, before it was internet media, still still involved this kind of a, maybe some kind of displacement or some kind of disembodiment, and that that has continued. But even a disembodied experience is still a real experience. So,
4: but I, th- I think what you're discussing here is like an ontological question. And I think first and foremost, that um, all machines are social before they're technical. Mm-hmm. And so the, the question of the digital and the real world as uh, an, another alternative in one sense, because we're all sort of plugged into the, into the internet. Kids that are growing up to get today with cell phones and they, they think that that's just the mode to be. When in fact, that was one of the contradictions that I faced very early and this project that i did in the media biennial because i was asked to select artists from the americas and it's like are you talking about an artist from new york or somebody from um guatemala city that doesn't have that kind of technological accessibility i mean it's a it's a, an contradiction even before when begin talking about ontological issues about uh the digital and dematerialization as opposed to uh, the more material type of art that we sort of a custom or pre-pandemic? It is a very interesting question.
3: I uh, I worry about the hierarchy that uh, it creates, that uh, this uh, the new digital world or accessibility creates. Uh, yesterday we were listening in a car, an article podcast about FTS and, and blockchain. And it was fascinating because it's all over us right now. And so I personally work with block printers in, um, in a village of Bagru uh, in the middle of Rajasthan. And and we are trying to uh, give a voice to the women who work there. And I was thinking, I mean, I love the idea of blockchain and, and attaching it to the design that they create that could go uh, with them forever. And then I was thinking while listening to this podcast, like, is it really doable? Like who would do it? How? And I really, really worry about the hierarchy uh, And the discrepancies that this technology or our accessibility will create between countries and and the people even within the same countries and as you said about the artists like is it artists in new york or guatemala city like do they have the same access to the technology but i'm work. i'm talking about the whole world like do we we know that uh this pandemic showed that even within usa that there is no children in certain areas are struggling because they, don't, they can't um, get internet access and they can't go remote school. And like, are we getting, are we going farther with this?
6: Your phrase yeah. variables staying the same was really key for me. And uh, my question is, would this internet change these variables that need to be changed? And that's really a kind of a million dollar question because all other things being equal, you know, there is an assuming that even in the most disadvantaged neighborhoods and all this hugely entrepreneurial, business-oriented companies in America very quickly put together, offered free of charge internet access and this and that, But the real question was that the experience of the kids from certain class of families was simply not equal, even if digital access is there. And so ultimately, I'm just hoping for the equalizing experience, we can can actually get offline and start thinking about what are the structures offline that can be, the kinds of structures where the variables will begin to shift
0: so in a way the opportunities or the discrepancies and problems regarding access that the internet that moving to the internet has underscored are providing somewhat perhaps paradoxically a path forward for addressing those questions of accessibility and inequality even outside of the internet space
6: absolutely even even uh, not, not that it was a novelty but it, it simply highlighted this even stronger.
0: It heightened the contradictions, as they say.
2: That's correct. correct. Yeah. Use but at the yeah. same time, the, the best way to kind of deal with these contradictions is to actually make them visible, right? You know, I, I guess it depends how you want to see it, but I guess it's, it, it is important to make them visible first so you can act on them.
0: And the pandemic has definitely made infrastructure very visible in the sense that we, in terms of undercurrent, you know, you take the MTA to Dumbo and you go and you visit the space. And you may not think about the MTA because it's always there. But once we were in lockdown, we suddenly needed a new infrastructure to be able to make this sort of stuff possible. And now we're paying for Zoom. And now uh, we're, we're giving Zoom basically free advertising constantly because it's become just a, a form of our life, a form of a form of infrastructure in our lives, where earlier something like the state or the city would provide that kind of mode of connection.
6: Yes, pub- public infrastructure, public works would provide equalizing mode of connection for citizenry rather than mr zoom or mrs zoom
5: at the same time we cannot overlook however i think uh, uh, this paradigm shift that we don't yet know how it will evolve so even with the blockchain economies and the cryptocurrency we are very skeptical but uh, we know that third uh, economies have been helped uh, with this uh, different exchange so we are in the beginning of something that can be a game changer we cannot we cannot know yet
6: i like the idea of solidarity being visible and i think internet does provide that the connection and realization that there is solidarity and we know each other and also solidarity behind realizing what the structural problems are
5: offline. There is a strange radicalness that um, maybe we we as art professionals don't understand the, the intricacies of the financial world, but a lot of, uh, maybe it's generational as well, but there are people who argue in favor of, uh, 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 of this radicalness of uh, these different currencies.
1: Also, just like digital fluency is so interesting. Like, I have grown up with technology but I'm not as well versed as many of my peers who can code and create worlds of their own within structures that they can use and I think it's really interesting to see how the digital can be very malleable and that it is a facet of world creating you know it's 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 an extension of a desire for autonomy especially for my age group there's a lot of freedom in creating your own spaces creating your own chat groups creating your own breakout rooms, which is really interesting in the idea that you're creating your own space. You're not just living, like looking and yearning for a gallery or representation. You're creating your own idea of that, if that even exists. And I think that there's so much to be thought of, not just in digitality as like a tool, but like as an idea, as like a spirit, as like a, a yearning so yeah i'm i'm so i'm so excited that unmute is happening and i'd like to circle back to kind of your guys experiences with that maybe mustier do you have a question about
0: i did actually want to build on what you were saying about these these creations of spaces etc because um at least three of you have have actively created something like a space whether it be an an online forum in the case of Adriana, or a, a performance space in the case of Elena, and I'm wondering if how those sorts of things have been affected by this pandemic, and has it made has it made you reconceptualize these relationships between the materiality of what you're providing? I know Adriana, you sell limited edition apparel, et cetera, and obviously Elena, your your space is a physical space out in the woods, and then also how they have a digital presence as well. Are you reconceptualizing the role of the digital presence in in this sort of in what you're doing
2: for living content for my project? I think it was very. I actually started doing a series of limited editions when the pandemic uh, was just hitting in March last year, and everything got super delayed. So from a technical point of view, that was a very difficult task to bring to completion (laughs) and we kind of had to put it on hold for a long time Uh, we just released it this like recently this last week or this week so I think what I had to focus more on uh, was basically this whole uh, discursive part of the website that was already there like the platform had that in the sense that I was doing studio visits with artists and I was doing studio visits a lot of the times, with artists in New York, like actually going to their studios in person, uh, and everything migrated online. So I just had to basically move these conversations uh, on Zoom. So for me, it wasn't necessarily a, a huge, a huge transition, but I think it was definitely um, something that I took advantage from the point of view that a lot of my public was like online, and suddenly, you know, I just saw an exponential growth in, like, how the public was interacting with with the content that I was putting on, so, and that encouraged me to put on more, and, you know, and it kind of actually grew a lot in this, in this last year, I would say. On our end, we introduced a lot of new digital
6: initiatives that are applied, and at the same time, the pandemic, for us, meant the radical pursuit of physicality, just even using the incredible luck of our open-air new theater, being in the open air, literally, and then having 100 acres of land. And that physicality last year, we ran the entire season live, and also this year, meant that we created more and more programs of immersive participatory experience for people physically, especially for kids and teenagers, for whom this pandemic was a nightmare, especially if you were coming from the kinds of backgrounds where you didn't have a nice apartment or a second home and on and on. And so we were driven to be much more creative about how we approach art making and also our partnerships locally. That being said, yes, we use digital stuff Um, And that meant not just live streaming, all of our presentations consecutively and concurrently with whatever we were doing live and uh, obviously benefit. And just like Adriana says, I mean, exponentially our audiences grew. But for us, it still was not the core. It really simply was an applied staff on the side that served the benefit of A, creating larger family, be solidarity um, some kind of a celebration and outreach of the spirit and connection between the arts artists the audiences ultimately i still feel that in this area of performing arts the physical experience is going to be paramount and that's for us really stayed we we we, we stayed kind of. We stuck to this
0: idea.
5: Um, I'm also uh, working on an idea with Undercurrent that's based on the confinement that we're experiencing, but relating it to social and criminal justice. So we were working on a on the right to silence, an exhibition about uh, incarceration. So that was relevant to the current condition. As a as an active artist,
3: it allowed me to bring people to the studio over the Zoom and have studio visits and also visit other uh, friends uh, or people that respect or follow their work, seeing their work either through open studios or online exhibitions. But I am... Missing the personal contact of physical studio visit, and uh, this is definitely not a platform that would work for me hundred percent. So yes, I did survive the year or plus, <laughs> and continued working. But the sooner it's over, the better.
4: To be honest with you, I did I did a few exhibitions during twenty twenty. This this year, I'm actually doing some. Uh, we're back into um, doing uh, physical shows. And fortunately, where I'm doing some projects at, there's like a backyard. Everybody's been very um, following COVID protocols, but it's just not um, not the same, unless of course the work has been conceived and made for the medium of the digital world, so to speak. I mean, on the other hand, what I was thinking earlier, a few questions back was, one of the things that I did see as sort of quite affirmative, you know, wading through, forget about all the, uh, the hype and like social media, but specifically, I was thinking about the Arab Spring, which was a few years ago and um, here in the States with the uh, usurping of uh, the Republican party. And that um, there's been a lot much more attention to the grassroots politicization of politics that, that needs to be attended to now. And I think that the pandemic as everyone has rightly made aware of has heightened those contradictions. And I think there's more of of a community and sense of a political body that wasn't there before the pandemic, and that's I think something that's quite um, affirmative and and um, absolutely positive.
0: The hope would be that a usable, workable solidarity emerges out of all of this. Yeah, as I mean, to- I, I,
4: I, yeah. In other words, in other words, it becomes very challenging to apply it within the fields that we're all working in pre-pandemic, unless you specifically focus on digital art, so to speak. But on the other hand, it has the communicative aspect. It has allowed um, for a lot of information to flow, more so than ever. And the contradictions that are, have, have heightened because of the inequalities, I think it has produced a much more um, social awareness to individuals that maybe would have not have been forced to think that way before. And uh, I think that's, you know, absolutely a, a very redemptive element of the medium.
0: So while the Arab Spring can be considered like the Twitter revolutions, there, there may be Zoom revolutions in the future or?
4: Uh, well, I don't know so much about Zoom, but I think that the pandemic has made everyone more aware of the contradictions, even more so. And, and it might have been exacerbated by the kind of innate alienation that we were all feeling from being separated from human contact and k- doing the work that we did before the pandemic. So I, 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 what I'm getting at is that there's other aspects of the medium that I think is very pertinent to art. And that is to say, on the one hand, is it is art for like the NFTs and production of, of capital through digital means? Or is it like some artists see art as like a reflection of the world that we're living in? And so then those contradictions, it's, making you think more profoundly about why one makes art or why one curates exhibitions or why one writes about art or why one teaches art in a classroom, whether physically or through Zoom.
3: I also think what's really interesting is the longevity, how long we are in this uh, and how we would react to the similar questions or same questions, let's say half a year ago or a year ago and how comfortable we've got with the media now And that was actually one of the things we were talking about with my team at the, or with the team that I worked with at uh, Unmute. Uh, I asked them, how would you feel a year ago? How would you, how do you think that, uh, what changed? And what I heard from them is that they would not be able to probably to find that level of comfort and uh, the way how they were able to talk about personal things a year ago. Uh, But we've been in this situation for such a long time that it definitely changed our perspective.
0: I think that some of this this kind of solidarity, these questions about solidarity, et cetera, fit into another question I had, which was that the unmute projects they rely on these conceits of isolation and quarantine, like that's that's built into the design of the of the project. Both one zero 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 one and one zero 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 two have the same idea that it's two artists who've never met who are or sort of thrown together over Zoom to create together. And so the theory was that the, what I call the thin thread of Zoom can overcome both physical and microbiological boundaries. But then I'm wondering, like, could a project like Unmute, would it make sense in a year? Will we, would would every conceivable artist be so sick of Zoom or will every single artist or will things have returned to something resembling normal enough where it would be kind of weird, if not a little bit perverse, to try and return to how things used to be where everything has to get done over Zoom?
6: Absolutely, sure. absolutely. And, and that's only because you know, we are all interested in artist mobility, number one. A lot of us, like I'm speaking for myself as a presenter and producer of performing arts, I'm very interested in interdisciplinary projects and a lot of times it's simply practicality to foster a lot of connections and new ideas among artists at least at the stage of inception and even exploration of ideas before let's say you go ahead and commission a project or you create a residency to continue some kind of a project. I think in terms of practicalities, those connections are simply invaluable and they will be and and all this digital stuff really showed us how valuable and helpful on a very practical level it can be and you know creativity is kind of not bound to digital or physical it exists like a Noah sphere in a way you know and so absolutely in a year i do believe that it can be absolutely valuable for somebody to, to be connecting to an artist of a different media and experience and then of course to say a banality is that also saving on on travel but that's probably something that's that is not as key <laughs> to my argument
3: uh, i also think that definitely uh, number one we got so much practice all of us in over the past few months and then there's this incredible freedom that we can connect with anybody around the world and I think it's fascinating and my one my feeling that I had from uh, a mute was like please more more of this like bigger accessibility like more for the artists like everywhere please let's do it.
5: I also think that it's uh, something that we will continue to live with and uh, I don't want to be uh, pessimistic but um, it's a new condition. And um, I was very lucky to have worked together with 16 artists and scholars for a common book that we are writing and talking about solidarity and collaboration. This has been an amazing year because we meet every week and everyone is working on editing and writing and we don't know who is who. So we use the I and the we merge and uh, it's a complete melting down of the eye. And we create a common work of uh, scholarship, but also of art, I believe, uh, based on a council conference at Rijeka, which was the cultural capital of Europe. And that has been uh, a great challenge for all of us from different parts of the world. And it reminded me a lot in the process of unmute.
1: You guys, this is so amazing. Like, I also have been editing some of the videos this whole time, and it's like, it's such an interesting process seeing these, you know, partners come together. There's a lot of hesitancy, there's difficulty with scheduling, but it all makes for a really interesting process that, if not the same as real life, it takes on a new potency in the way that people connect. And I don't know. I just, I'm so happy that you guys have been a part of Unmute and, you know, lending your intelligence and your craft and your, your mind to these groups. Yeah, it's amazing. I don't really have a point. I just, it's like warming my heart.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was so great to, to be part of this. I think it was, uh, it just uh, in a really funny way i actually knew mo from before so it was like quite a nice coincidence that we got grouped together like this so uh it was really interesting to see how how their practices interacted and and what were those those common points and uh they actually i was quite surprised by how much common ground they found uh given that they were like from such different parts of the world and that they were like dealing with things in Quite different ways and different mediums, and
3: I think common ground was really, really one of the key term that came out
0: a lot mm. during our conversation too. What's this? The idea is that there's this generosity of spirit to find a baseline, the the two artists or the uh, collective on the Zoom call. You, they have to put certain aspects of their ego, certain aspects of, of these sorts of things aside for a moment and sign a kind of peculiar new kind of social contract for the purposes of whatever's going on. So like even here on this call, you know, we all have to sort of deal with the fact that we might look a little ridiculous or the things in our background might not be perfect or our voices might be crinkly, etc. But we all accept this as part of the cost of the astonishing potential, let's say, for bringing us together. And the artists were in a similar situation. They had to, they have to come over disciplinary barriers and, and sometimes even slightly language barriers too, to make something happen, I suppose.
3: Yes, I think that was one of the thing that I was thinking about, the coming over insecurity and the way how you see uh, yourself and how you present yourself. And you have to overcome that in order to work with your partner to find something that brings you together so you can move to the next step of co-creation.
2: It was also, sorry, it was also really interesting to to see, like watching their videos from the beginning when they first started talking, to see, uh, as you said, Petra, also those weird, awkward moments between them that were like, you know, this... this uh, when they, where they were just trying to find the common ground and it was it was just like a little bit awkward or like a little bit of friction or and that was also such an interesting process because these are things that are behind closed doors right you don't really get to experience that in any kind of collaborations between artists they usually stay behind closed doors and now you have them on full display which is uh, I think quite a, a fascinating thing to see.
4: I just wanted to Say something about my experience with uh, Yushuan and Gabriel, which was as I uh, was said about looking at the videos from the beginning, the selfies and, and so forth. And um, it was very, really sort of, um, I approached it kind of like a studio visit, but it became something completely else. I began to sort of witness the interaction of Gabriel and Yushuan, and um, it, it really became like. A, a collaborative team, rather than like two individual artists, which I think what the what unmute was sort of uh, pitching for, and um, it was wonderful to see the thought process of the of these two artists that I had uh, the honor to sort of collaborate with, and it really became more like a dialogue uh, between us as um, I sort of revealed a lot of stuff of, of what I do and sort of like um, what I might be looking for artists and doing shows and. And so the questions became very uh, eclectic in the discussions. And um, it was a quite quite a, a very memorable experience, definitely. And as per Unmute's um, future, I think it's it's laid down a really interesting model of the possibility of what um, can be done with these particular types of residencies that are so geographically disparate, but that you can see that the commonality of, of these artists um, engage it's really quite wonderful.
0: I think that's uh, as good a closing sentiment as we could ask for. So
1: Raul thank- you're you're the best. <laughs> that was the best.
0: <laughs> thank you thank you very much everyone for participating and uh, thank, you. thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you
4: so much yeah. for being here. Yes. Wonderful to talk to everyone as well.
0: <laughs> thank you. Okay. That was our conversation with the five consultants. Uh, I'd like to thank them for participating. And if you want to find out more about them, you can look up their various links that are included in the show notes.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, you can find out more about Undercurrent at undercurrent.nyc, which includes links to undercurrent social media profiles and to this podcast's archive. We're also on Instagram as undercurrent.nyc. Leave us a review, like, and please subscribe to the podcast. On behalf of
0: Undercurrent and 1984 Products, I'm Adriana. And I'm Moisir. Ciao ciao. Ciao ciao.